Hello and welcome to another Corin stream. I am your host, Joe Magician. And today we'll be talking about like one of the truly odd and powerful objects in the world of Westeros, glass candles. And yet for one of the most bizarre magical objects in A Song of Ice and Fire, they are barely mentioned. They really only show up in Daenerys and Samuel chapters and the Pate prologue. And that's kind of it. That's all we get for them. Yet these sharp, twisty shards of rock inspire literally endless theories about them uh, from A Song of Ice and Fire fans and how they may be used in the story. Today we'll be exploring what those candles are exactly, <laughs> how do they work, and where their effects might actually be felt, uh, be felt within the story. Before we get into all that though, if you guys could do me a favor and smash that like button, leave a comment if you're watching on replay, the almighty YouTube algorithm demands payment like a hungry weirwood. If we get to 150 likes on the stream, I will throw on my very handsome wizard hat thing right there behind me. 175, the very fancy germ hat for the rest of the stream. Also, if you want to support the channel, uh, consider signing up the Patreon for benefits like early episodes, <clears throat> patron slack, the, um, the outline I just posted, all sorts of fun things. Um, there's links I pinned in the chat, which is apparently a new feature. You can pin a comment. So there's uh, links there to Patreon, um, reminders about like super chats and super stickers and also PayPal's, which <laughs> uh, Amy's playing my role in the stream. Usually I derail things like that. Our glass candles, dangerous dildos. Hey, if you want them to be. I also wanted to say thanks to um, uh, two PayPal donations we got already. Uh, Danny McKay, he said, glass candles, I can dig it. $5, very generous, appreciate it, Danny. And then uh, $5 from Gerald Larson, also Appreciate it very much. Very generous of you. Wow, apparently YouTube chat does not like the word dildo. Um, they, Gerald says, keep up the good work. I'm curious about... I don't like this thing about the mobile app for PayPal. Maybe I have to use the desktop app. I'm curious about what role the Manderly fleet will have in A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, nothing to do with glass candles, but the Manderly fleet is one of those um, Chekhov's guns sort of things where George set them up really early. The Unvers and the Man and the Manderleys have been building boats um, ever since Bran and I think I forget who might have been Rob. I think it was Bran though at the Harvest Feast where they were commanded to work together and rebuild the Stark fleet, which they haven't really had since uh, Brandon the Burner uh, burned all the ships in the North. Well, most of them, at least the ones they owned. Uh, so what role will they play? It's it's tough to say because there doesn't seem to be a a fleet coming up the eastern side of Westeros. Um, the attack from the Golden Company is going right at the Stormlands and the Crownlands, but they don't really seem to give a shit about the north. So the way that they might end up being useful is in terms of maybe an escape from the north for for the name characters we know in Winterfell, run down the White Knife to the White Harbor, and try and escape the oncoming White Walkers and all that other kind of things. Um, I don't really think they'll be used in combat. I think it'll just be used that way, just as a mass evacuation. <laughs> oh yes, I want. There's also some very happy birthdays out there. Aegon the Sixth, uh, one of my patrons. Also, the one and only poor Quentin Emmett Booth. I almost talked about uh, Quentin today, but decided I didn't um, have enough time to prepare for it to be able to talk intelligently on Quentin, so I went with glass candles. Um, so give Emmett Booth out there a very happy birthday. And also, I believe it's Joanna Robinson's uh, birthday, A Vanity Fair and Storm of Spoilers 
and many, many, many podcasts. So if you guys know them, go ahead and uh, shoot them a message on Twitter or tag them or just happy birthdays all around. Let's hope for some very happy gifts over the next few days, to say the least. <laughs> F's in chat for happy birthdays. I mean, that's true. I don't like my birthday. Um, I don't like celebrating it. Not, it's not always happy birthdays for everybody, but you know, if you do enjoy your birthday, then happy. <laughs> it's your birthday too. Why is it everybody's birthday today? What's going on? What about October 3rd means everybody's birthday? I don't really know. But anyway, um, yeah, do all those things. I also wanted to highlight a, um, a review I got on Apple Podcasts, because by the way, you can listen to these as audio only vo versions if you look up the wit and wisdom of Joe Magician. Um, be sure it's available everywhere. Uh, Patty2347 says, I very knowledgeable could listen to these podcasts all day. He's super knowledgeable and a joy to listen to. Thank you. I try my best. At least I have the a joy to listen to part down. Not always the super knowledgeable, but I try and make it up with lots and lots of research. New Year's babies? Is that what it is? Is it? Oh boy. <laughs> Wait, nine months ago from, from October. Yeah, these are January babies. Whoops. Hey, at least, um, yeah, that's a thing. You know, your parents hooked up on, uh, around New Year's. There you go. <laughs> that's true. It is very cold in January. What else are you going to do? Play chess? I don't think so. Chess doesn't keep you warm. Wow. This is really, really diverge really fast from <laughs> glass candles. Um, uh, oh, Super Bowl babies. Interesting. Thank you, Sandrix. <laughs> this is about glass candles, Bernie. So let's go back and talk about that. So glass candles, the super magical weird objects. I got a quote here that um, I think is the one that George intended to explain things for the reader, at least like kind of. Because when you first hear about them up until Samwell 5 in A Feast for Crows, there's not a lot of information about what the hell these things are, or even what they can do. So the quote goes, what feeds a dragon's fire? Marwyn seated himself upon a stool. All Valyrian sorcery was rooted in blood or fire. The sorcerers of the Freehold could see across mountains, seas, and deserts with one of these glass candles. They could enter a man's dreams and give him visions and speak to one another half a world apart, seated before their candles. Do you think that might be useful, Slayer? Very good Marwyn there. Jeff's guess. Yeah, and <laughs> that's sort of like the basic explanation there. You can... um. They're like communication devices. But yeah, like I was saying, uh, these are very, very strange objects that are mentioned early on in A Clash of Kings only to Daenerys when she's in Karth. And then the entire topic is basically dropped, um, at least explicitly, until A Feast for Crows. Uh, the first quote comes from uh, Zaro's own Daxos. He, uh, he goes, Zaro looked troubled, and so it was then. But now, I am less certain. It is said that glass candles are burning in the house of Earthon Nightwalker that have not burned in a hundred years. Uh, this also works very well with the ideas of wildfire, where quite a lot of th there's a, a lot of speculation in the books from the pyromancers that the reemergence of Danny's dragons has awakened a kind of fire magic in the world. And Zaro here is likely drawing the comparison between the two of them that since these are Valyrian in origin and that they have not burned in a hundred years, that this likely has to do with Danny and her dragons. <laughs> and glass candles only be used three times because Quith uses them only three times. Um, I don't think so. I think they can be used as many times as you want. The um, We'll go into how the Citadel acquired some, but I don't think there's any sort of like limit on it. 
Um, he he lists a bunch of other things too that seem vaguely connected to Danny in a weird way, but doesn't really. It's mostly that like the warlocks are excited and doing crazy things. But you know, there's always strange things in Karth. But the glass candles and this Earth on Nightwalker thing is certainly something that comes up and is this kind of like, hmm, I wonder what that is about. A very interesting question. And also, like, we're going to put a pin on that Earth on Nightwalker fellow, a character that does not appear in the books as far as we know, yet is mentioned almost constantly in, con in, conjunction, in conjunction with dragons and glass candles and weird magical things. Character we have not met. Maybe. Maybe we haven't met them. <laughs> um, and like I said, after this one mentioned, they basically disappear from the narrative until Feast for Crows in the Pate prologue and Samwell 5, where... George slams us with this information about them like he was cramming for an exam. It feels very, very similar to the way he used the Dance with Dragons prologue with Vermeer Sixkins as a way to talk about skin changing and second lives and all these things that would be very important for understanding a feast for uh, a Dance with Dragons and the Winds of Winter going forwards. It's one of those things that just feels like he's like, oh yeah, I want to use these things. I did not explain anything about them. Shit, my audience doesn't know what these are. They don't know how they work. I guess I have to explain them. And I do love that about George, where sometimes it just seems like it slips his mind. He's like, oh, you know, I've just been talking about these glass candles for so long. It's like these weird mentions. I'm sure my audience gets it. And then his editor's like, no one gets it. No one knows what you're talking about, George. Hey, Chrissy, how's it going? Uh, so the first, the first big information dump we get is from, uh, Pate's prologue. Uh, this is the one where Jack and Hagar, most people assume it's Jack and Hagar, I'm pretty sure it's Jack and Hagar, shows up and kills Pate, steals his face to enter the Citadel. But before that, the, the novices spend quite a lot of time talking about dragons and glass candles and Marwyn and magic. <clears throat> uh, the quote here goes... They were the worst kept secret of the Citadel. It was said that they had been brought to Old Town from Valyria a thousand years before the Doom. Now, like, think about that. Brought from Valyria a thousand years before the Doom. The Valyrians are notably not kind about giving up their magical objects. Um, Valyrian swords can cost as much wealth as an entire lord has, can bankrupt them. Just like some, even when they were, Valyria was you know, not destroyed and these weren't rare objects, they were still insanely expensive. And somehow the Citadel acquired four of these of these glass candles, which are arguably much more valuable than a stupid sword, <laughs> I guess. Um, I mean, they're not stupid swords, but I mean, like, they're just kind of really sharp that and they can kill White Walkers. That's the main things they can do. <clears throat> and then it goes on to say he heard there were four. One was green and three were black and all were tall and twisted. Uh, we go on to hear that they are using a very particular ritual with the novices of the Citadel. They are locked in a vault with three glass candles in total darkness. They don't get any tools. They don't get any light. They don't get to study or anything. They are just kind of locked in. And over the course of the night, it's expected that they will try to light these glass candles. Oh, hang on a second. Let's center me a little bit. Okay, that looks better. <laughs> And uh, the Armin tells this story that you probably hear from most of the Elder Maesters where it's like, oh, well, it's just a test to tell you about how, like, some things are beyond you and there's higher mysteries and there's no way to figure it out. There's things beyond your understanding because everyone fails. 
or at least they've been failing for a hundred years <laughs> since the glass candles haven't been um haven't been burning for a hundred years according to Quaith and Zaro. So I think this is actually one of the really funny uh, moments of the Pate prologue of which there aren't really that many. It's like a really good moment of humor because you get the quote, lazy Leo bursts out laughing. Not possible for you, you mean? I saw the candle burning with my own eyes. And also if you think back while you're reading this, you're like, wait, I mean, I've been told that the glass candles are burning already. So why are the Citadel so bad about doing this? <laughs> like, why can't they light these glass candles? There's something they're not telling the novices that Marwin knows because he has his lit, but it's, it's not really clear what's going on there, why they are straight terrible about lighting these things, especially in the age after uh, Danny has re reawoken her dragons. It seems like Marwin like realized the dragons were back and went boop lit his candle uh scatler rock says are the glass candles an allegory for technology they're like smartphones for me i think that's absolutely what george was drawing on he very much likes the idea of um using concepts from advanced technology but putting them in a fantasy sense but yeah they're they're in some ways they are like um smartphones or zoom calls or anything uh, Jay Moray says, a man-made Weirnet. Yeah, I've heard that one too before, that these are essentially the Lyrian versions of the Weirwood net. And then also, um, the quote we get from Karth lets us know that this explanation from Armin and from the Citadel is just straight wrong. Quaith is talking to Neris and she says this, Half a year gone, that man could scarcely wake fire from dragonglass. He had some small skill with powders and wildfire, sufficient to entrance a crowd while his cut purses did their work. He could walk across hot coals and make burning roses bloom in the air, but he could no more aspire to climb the fiery ladder than a common fisherman could hope to catch a kraken in his nets. So if you, if you think about this in the way that this is being described, Quaith is saying that there's one thing here that's really hard to do, and that is climbing the fiery ladder, which is one of the real moments of high fantasy in A Song of Ice and Fire early on, where a guy conjures a fiery ladder out of thin air, climbs it, and then basically disappears. It's, it's a really cool trick. Um, but then the rest of them, she's like, eh, these are, everybody can kind of do these with a little bit of practice. She's like, oh, well, wakes uh, fire from dragon glass. Easy, can do it. Um, use some skills and make wildfire. Yeah, totally. Anybody can learn to do that like we see with the pyromancers. Walk across hot coals. That's actually a thing you can just do in real life. You can just run across hot coals and not really get hurt too bad. Um, make burning roses bloom in the air. Yeah, um, just like fire tricks. So that's the level that we're being told that lighting a glass candle's on. It's not difficult if you have one. It's like, Quaith is like, yeah, you know, as long as they're burning, anybody can do it. But the Citadel sucks. <laughs> um, Westerosi FaceTime. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, we'll go into that in a little bit, like exactly what they do. But I just thought this was really interesting that it's very likely that <laughs> if there are a lot more glass candles, that they're user friendly and that um, either on purpose or just by being stupid idiots, the Archmaesters of the Citadel are not teaching their students how to do it, except Marwin. Marwin seems interested in letting his students be around lit glass candles and maybe even use them because it's not like Samwell walks in and then Marwin goes, aha, look at this glass candle and then lights it. It's already lit. So yeah, it's, um, <laughs> this does give some kind of ideas to Marwin's 
little speech about how like the Citadel wants to kill magic and nobody understands it and they want to create a world without it. Well, yeah, this is one of those ways that you can see that the the not teaching of how to properly use glass candles and locking them in a room and essentially like cutting their hands and stuff on it rather than like it's a simple trick like we can show you is very much an anti-knowledge thing coming out of the Citadel. <clears throat> and then we get a really long quote here from Samwell 5 um, after he sees the glass candle and a discussion here with Marwin and a lot of you guys have been bringing, bringing us up in the chat like um, what are they made of that kind of thing and this whole paragraph is essentially just a knowledge dump from George. It's actually kind of unusual in how it kind of strays from narrative for a while and Marwin just sort of explains to the audience what the hell is going on. Oh yeah, slam that like button if you could. Get to 150 likes. We got 138 watchings so far. Thank you guys. Get to 150. I would appreciate it. Also, I'll put on a silly hat, which is always fun for all of us. <clears throat> Alright, here we go. Here's the quote. Aside from that, the only light came from a tall black candle in the center of the room. The candle was unpleasantly bright. There was something queer about it. The flame did not flicker, even when Archmaester Marwin closed the door so hard that the papers blew off a nearby table. The light did something strange to colors too. Whites were bright as fresh fallen snow. Yellows shone like gold. Reds turned to flame. But the shadows were so black that they looked like holes in the world. Sam found himself staring. The glass candle it's the not a glass candle. <laughs> the candle itself was three feet tall and slender as a sword, ridged and twisted, gliss, glittering black. Is that obsidian? said the other man in the room, a pale, fleshy, pasty faced young fellow with round shoulders, soft hands and close set eyes, and food stains on his robes. Call it dragon glass. Archmaester Marwin glanced at the candle for a moment. It burns, but is not consumed. What feeds the flames? asked Sam. What feeds a dragon's fire? Marwin seated himself upon a stool. All Valyrian sorcery was rooted in blood or fire. The sorcerers of the Freehold could see across mountains, seas, and deserts with one of these glass candles. They could enter a man's mind and give him visions, and speak to one another half a world apart, seated before their candles. Do you think that might be useful, Slayer? I, he's such a sarcastic, like dramatic guy. Marwin, come on, man. Um, Steph Lyon says, what reasons do the maesters have to not like slash trust magic? I get that they don't. What is their justification? Magic is brilliant. So magic is brilliant if you have it. If you're one of the people that can use it, I mean, everything's great. You're essentially, you can be like a sorcerer king. But it's pretty shitty for the rest of the world, uh, especially as we're going to talk about what these things can do. It's a pretty unfair advantage that um, makes for magically empowered dicks to take over the world. So if there's a reason, that's probably it. Uh, so yeah, we are told a few things here about the about the glass candles, but these are some some kind of shards of obsidian, otherwise known as dragon glass, that are twisted in these weird spiral formations leading to a singular point. Um, I don't think I have to say this, but that's not a natural thing. Like obsidian does not naturally come from the ground in spiral shaped like nightmare sword things. Um, obsidian is usually found in big clumps of rocks or, um, like sheets because they're, they are cooled magma. Essentially they come from volcanoes. This doesn't happen. So this appears to tell us that these were crafted by Valyrian fire mages. 
Uh, we hear elsewhere that the Valyrians can do amazing things with rock and stone. For instance, they could make um, buildings look like whatever they want. The demon roads are essentially perfect and straight. Um, Dragon's <clears throat> Dragonstone itself has some pretty unreal architecture. This is probably the same kind of thing where the Valyrians had the ability to shape obsidian or dragonglass into kind of whatever shape they felt like. And so somebody's trade was probably making these just like Valyrian steel swords. <clears throat> uh, maybe dragon breath. Yeah, that's a good point, Bernie. Um, it could just be some kind of like earth magic-y things. Uh, maybe something like Avatar. I don't... <laughs> we haven't seen them use this kind of thing, but we're told that they could. So yeah, the um, glass candles are... I don't think you can like just pay, take a piece of obsidian and then like do some magic-y stuff or take out a lighter and on a tip or something like that and all of a sudden you'll be able to see, see across the world. You should see these more as um, as crafted objects. Crafted by fireworms. Oh god, what if it's fireworm poop? Oh, that'd be pretty crappy. <laughs> uh, the yolks. Uh, yeah, pyroclastic. Their molecular structure makes them almost impossible to carve without fine modern tools. Uh, exactly right, Jaded Redhead. You often see them chipped. Um, you'll see them into arrowheads or spearheads. In fact, that's how the children of the forest use them. They don't have the, despite their immense magical power, they do not have the ability or don't seem to want to turn their, the obsidian they have in anything, anything more complicated than simple carving tools. So yeah, percussion flaking. There is no way to, there's no way to do this with obsidian. So <laughs> Uh, I think they'd work better on Dragonstone or somewhere else with so much of it. Uh, yeah, definitely. Especially when you know that the Valyria is powered by a whole bunch of volcanoes with lots of magma and lots of um, volcanic rock. Um, seems very likely that this is where they, one of the things they used them for. <laughs> uh, also, like, the the top of it is supernatural. It's We're told it's a multicolored flame with impossible colors. It also doesn't react to stimuli. Like... It's said that Marwyn slams the door and that it makes papers go flying. I have a candle right here and just on its own, it's dancing all over the place. This candle, this flame does not move. So yeah, not normal, not a thing that can happen. Um, and there's sort of a question here about like, what is exactly happening with this dragon glass that is causing it to, you know, have this crazy flame. Obsidian or dragon glass is called multiple times like, frozen fire as it's crystallized hardened magma from volcanoes but you can't light obsidian <laughs> there's there's no mechanic in nature that allows you to draw out flame from it it doesn't it um it doesn't really burn but what it does do is explode <laughs> uh because of the way it's formed it's cooled very very quickly so it can have air pockets within it or gas pockets as, which depending on the volcano the gas may be explosive if you heat up obsidian too far, then it literally does explode, which is not great. <laughs> uh, yeah, like anything close to this, you just have exploding glass candles. That's This is not a thing. You can't light obsidian. You can't do this on any rock, but it's especially not obsidian. And I think it has to do with um, how exactly they're writing it, lighting it. It's supernatural, so... Marwin goes on to tell us when he's talking about the glass candle that all Valyrian magic is fluted, is um, founded in blood or flame. So I'm going to guess that this one is blood based or something like that. That um, maybe the way you light it is like you prick your finger and then do something magical and poof, it goes up. Because as, as I said earlier, like Quaith doesn't think this is a big deal. Neither does Marwin. He just has one lit like it's not a problem. So 
it would be something simple, especially because of the way they're supposed to be used. A user, like I was saying, user friendly, basically. Uh, Sam just kind of walks up and he's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And uh, some people have speculated if he started seeing through the flames right then. It's It kind of seems like he did. It didn't seem like he had to try too hard to do it. And Sam's not an inherently magical character. So yeah, it's got it's to be something simple like that, like prick your finger, put it on the right place on the glass candle, maybe right at the wick or something like that or say some kind of magic words and then poof it turns on <laughs> iphones can be explosive in certain circumstances yes they can especially if you watch uh tech destruction videos um vladimir res res vladimir Vlad hmm. there's a w there so vladimir r i'm gonna say vladimir because i don't know how to pronounce that does roger harla the reader have a glass candle as he did challenge euron is he in contact with marwin through the glass candle do you see him as a spy for team daenerys nope i don't think so they are the glass candles are incredibly rare um maybe they were not rare when they were made a thousand years ago which is maybe why the citadel acquired for but um, I would be very, very surprised if um, if Roderick Harlow, of all characters, is one of the few people in Westeros that has these rare and very powerful objects. It might be that Marwyn is using his glass candle to contact Roderick, which um, actually we'll talk about now. So what can you use these for? Like what I said, they're incredibly powerful. They're useful. So like, why? What do they do? <laughs> um, so... The first is it lets you whoops a daisy. The first is it lets the user see across great distances to seemingly wherever they want in the world. Um, uh, Marwin goes on to say, like, see through mountains, across deserts. It's essentially George's flamboyant way of saying anywhere. You turn one of these things on, you stare into it. If you, I guess, maybe like mentally think about what you want to see, and then you do. Uh, so that's extremely powerful spying technology, and it would go a long way to explain like why Valyria was so successful in their conquest. I mean, they did have dragons, but we see the Targaryens in Westeros, and they had problems with the Dornish, and the Dornish are not a military powerhouse. They just basically could hide from the dragons, and then they couldn't find them. Well, if you had glass candles, that would not be a problem anymore. You could use them to essentially find where the Dornish were hiding, show up with your dragon, roast the caves or the uh, the hidden camps or whatever they're doing, rather than Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys showing up over and over again for years, just like totally failing at taking Dorne. Um, Steph Lyon says, Mel sees images in her flames, but hers need interpreting. I wonder what the relationship between what she sees in the fire and what is seeing in the glass candle. So it's implied that the way Marwin describes it, that the glass candle is not like seeing in the flames, that it's not random, that you have some sort of control over it, that um, the flames, Melisandre just sees stuff. And then she goes, I don't know what that was. She can kind of ask, but it's not really clear what's going on. Um, I would guess that the glass candles are far more accurate as long as you know what you're looking for, basically. Um, and yeah, this goes on to say, why was Valyria so successful in their dominations of the of Essos? Well, they essentially had like satellite satellite surveillance of their opponents while everyone else was running around with swords and shields and um, information at the speed of riders and maybe ravens, but probably not ravens because we're talking Essos. <clears throat> so it, it's hard to beat that kind of technology like you guys are talking about with like iPhones and stuff like that and streaming like like we're doing right now. 
this would be considered like we're using it to have fun and we're using it to talk about some books and some weird lore. But if you wanted to use this productively, this would this technology right here, which is essentially the same as as um what Marwin's describing, would be far more powerful than dragons in terms of a um a tactical tool. Yes, I am a witch. This is true. Fun fact, I do actually work with a witch. That was <laughs> she's a she's a cool person. Um ask her about her covens and that stuff sometimes. Um, yeah, I agree with OG that Mel's magic is not the same as the magic of the glass candles. I don't think they're, I don't think they're pretty much the same. Uh, yeah, this is not productive. We're just having fun. Uh, the second one is, he says you can speak to someone half a world apart. So again, this is like modern cell phone technology or zoom call or something like that. An extremely tactical game changer for Valyrian Freehold. And it's one of those things where the larger an empire gets, the, lo- the more difficult it is to hold together, especially in uh, ancient times, because like I was saying, the speed of messages is very, very slow. It's essentially the speed of a, a guy and a horse. So when you're trying to direct things from a central location, um, you have to cede quite a lot of control and you really don't have any idea of what's happening over there. You just get reports and you hope the reports are right. But with a glass candle, you could essentially, if you're sitting in the Valyrian Freehold, if you want to know how things are going in, let's say, Pentos, fire up the glass candle, essentially call whoever's over there in Pentos and say, hey, uh, what's going on? Give me an update. I want to see what's going on over there. And it's it's a dramatic advantage for the Valyrians. It really does go to explain why they had a stable giant empire in a world where giant empires tend to fall pretty quickly. Yeah, candle-assisted astral, astral prediction, more or less. It's um, it's a fantasy version of a sci-fi concept, which George is very, f- um, very fond of doing. <laughs> uh, glass candles versus flame visions are like uh, foot messengers versus the internet. Yeah, this is kind of like um, um, a lot of people have drawn connections between this and uh, the Weirwood Network, which is not, you know, the Weirwood Network's never, I don't think it's actually said in the books. I think that's the name that we gave it, but it's essentially the idea that uh, Blood Raven, when he contacts Bran, and kind of Jojen um, is more or less the same thing, where he talks from them to them from beyond the wall to the Winterfell and the, and, uh, the Neck, and is able to communicate across distances that would take days or weeks normally. <clears throat> Jon Snowden. Oh my goodness. Uh, wait, there was actually a good question up here. Uh, Mary Eka says, why didn't the Maesters use glass candles against the Targs during the invasion? It's a good question. Um, it's not certain that they didn't um even if you have this the ability to essentially spy on anybody in the world the targaryens still had dragons and if you can't convince like your local king to do what you want with your amazing knowledge then it kind of goes to waste and the citadel is not a military organization although the high towers did stay out of the conflict so perhaps they did warn the high terrorists at the time that like we've got no shot like we're gonna we were watching what's happening and everybody's dead <laughs> like don't don't get involved let the gardeners die maybe you'll take over uh robert says Aegon visited the citadel before the conquest maybe just to come some kind of deal was struck yeah absolutely could happen um the targaryens have gone to old town quite a lot throughout their history uh for dare for various deals and there's also that one peculiar story about the um high septon who went to the starry sept and essentially wildly hallucinated for a few days and came out and said if we ch- if we go against the tar- anyone that goes against the targaryens will will die in flame or something like that 
I mean, that's just practical, but you never know. Um, and that gets to kind of the third use of glass candles. And this is the most dangerous one, I would say, and the one that we've probably seen the most. And this is, you can enter a man's dreams and give him visions. So, dream manipulation. This is a classic George um, mechanic that he has used across many of his stories, across all different genres. He loves, 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 loves the idea that somebody can contact you in dreams and send messages and that they're not just random firings of your brain, essentially trying to make sense of your life, that they're real or practical in some way. Um, this this is used actually most offensively, I think we've seen in Seven Times Never Kill Man, where the spoilers alert for that story, if you haven't read it, essentially the um, weird little children of the forest like creatures use this kind of dream manipulation in order to get the humans to kill themselves. So yeah, George likes thinking about this in terms of not just like communication, but also an offensive weapon. But if you think about how it works within A Song of Ice and Fire, if you have a glass candle and you can pop into somebody's dreams, presumably you can see them. You're also contacting their mind directly, but it also let you simulate if you wanted to, you could be the old gods. You could be Rolor, you could be their whatever deity they worship. You could be their their dead um their dead wife, their dead parents, maybe a child that died. You could essentially do whatever you want to this person and give them visions in a um in a very troubling way. And uh, like I was talking about earlier, we see this with Blood Raven. He is sending visions to Bran very very early on in Game of Thrones. We also know he's doing it to Jojen Reed. Um he sends them messages, but also he just talks with them and tries to figure out what's going on. <laughs> Good God, Guilty Undertaker. <laughs> no, not the not an Empire dream of Wangs. Although, actually, you know, probably somebody did. You know, you're probably right. That probably happened at some point. Like, you can pull awesome pranks with this. Just like the best pranks. Okay, so the chat is now going wild with um, different ways that dream invasions have happened and what they are. And I'm going to take a second, <clears throat> let me sit up and say that I absolutely hate this mechanic of glass candles. I wish George had not put it in. I wish he had just stuck with the first two and done it and left it there. I hate this third one, the, the dream manipulation thing. I know he loves it. I think it's stupid. And I think it's stupid particularly because it calls into question pretty much the entire books and it leads to conspiracy theories and it leads to questioning about what's actually happening is something natural who's sending it why are they sending it and it's just it's a layer of confusion about what's going on in these books that i really don't like thinking about and really um just enables confounding theories sometimes because with glass candles being able to invade dreams and give people visions, every dream of every character, you now have to go back and say, was this real? Who is this sent by? Why was it sent? Is it part of a conspiracy? <gasps> oh my God, is it the maesters behind everything? Is it Marwyn? Is this Earth on Nightwalker? Who else has glass candles? Oh my God, the entire world's being run by glass candles. And just, it, it's the worst. It's a bad mechanic. George should not have done this. Yeah, it's like dream deepfakes. Everything's now in question. And it makes... Uh, the Weirwood one is different, I guess, in that it's pretty obvious when the dreams being sent are from Bloodraven. 
because he like announces himself sort of and you know it's him basically because they only happen to Bran and Jojen. It's really limited in where these things are going. But the glass candle use does not have any kind of modifier or limitation on which characters or which plots it's touching. It literally could be any of them and it drives me crazy. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it one bit. Yeah, it, it essentially like introduces the Illuminati <laughs> to the books, it introduces conspiracy into every decision, everything. It's really frustrating. I wish he didn't do this. I kind of, I kind of hate glass candles for that reason. Like they're interesting. They're fun to think about, but up to a point. And then you get to the point where uh, I have seen glass candles in like bad fan theories to explain everything and, every, and anything. My favorite one is I heard one once where... Um, somebody was trying to say that Malario leaving Prince Duran made no sense. That a, a, a wife would never leave her husband and her children. It was illogical. Therefore, it was evidence of glass candle manipulation. And it's like, Jesus Christ, that's what these things let people do. <laughs> Not everybody has them, but anybody could be using them. And any dream could be influenced by them. And it's, it's a really bad mechanic. George, I think you messed this up. I think you should not have done this. <laughs> it's, um, it's just one of those things I don't like. I, I would like to ignore that that part exists, but you can't. And now you guys get to live in my misery of thinking about is everything glass candles. <laughs> it's, um, I just need to let this out. I, I let it out. That was it. There are things that George puts into the books that I think are really stupid. I think this is one of them. Oh, there's uh, whatever your glass candle theory is. I'm sure they are all equally frustrating to deal with. Um, oh, by the way, yep. Uh, about halfway through, make sure you slam that like button. 152 people just hanging out, um, having a good time, listening to me rant about a stupid fantasy book mechanic that who really cares, but I do because it hurts my head. That's what that's what it does. That's the problem. <laughs> Uh, rewrite a song of ice and fire. Get rid of those. Um, you guys were talking about this earlier. I ignored it in the chat because I was going to get to this, but it's, um, these are basically George's version of the Palantir or the seeing stones from Lord of the Rings. They're extremely similar in power and effect. Uh, Tolkien made his glass candles as basically crystal balls and you would essentially touch one and within it, you could see or contact anybody else or wherever they were in the world. So you could just see from one seeing stone to another. You could talk to anybody across great distances. Um, this is basically the thing that allows Sauron and Saruman in um, the two towers in the Lord of the Rings, or just the Lord of Things throughout it, because he started before that, um, to coordinate their efforts and their, um, to contact each other. And essentially for Saruman to be corrupted by Sauron, it's the seeing stones. And George has essentially grafted that in a very... <laughs> in a way I, do, I really don't like like the palantir are better because they're limited to you have to essentially be touching them it's like you put it in a room and you have to go up and put your hand on it essentially the glass candles are not like that you can just see wherever and whoever and invade their dreams uh yes exactly guilty undertaker it requires a sender and a receiver glass candles do not have that restriction um and much like we see from the glass candles these Palantir, these seeing stones were ancient artifacts made by essentially a fallen race at this point, the Noldor Elves, um, probably made by Fenor because Fenor made literally everything in Lord of the Rings. If there's ever like a cool artifact you're wondering about in Lord of the Rings, who made it? Um, the answer is probably Celebrimbor or Fenor. They made everything. <laughs> 
<laughs> your candle theory sucks. Yeah, I'm a, I, I don't like candle theories. I don't. If I if I'm reading a theory and it gets to the point where it's talking about like and then glass candles, my eyes glaze over because I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. I just don't want to deal with this. <laughs> oh, super chat here from uh, San Rixian. Um, glass candles were a mistake. Agreed. They were a mistake. Put limits on them. Take away the dream things. Let it go, George. I hate it. I hate it. But yeah, thank you for the five dollars. Very generous, Mallory. Um, although the interesting thing about Palantir is that over time, they people essentially forgot how to use them, or they just didn't use them anymore because a lot of them ended up lost. Um, there's stories of some of them ending up in the ocean. Sometimes they just lost track of them in conquests and that kind of thing. And they more or less became like magical heirlooms that, or like power objects, essentially like, um, something valuable from a bygone age you don't know how to use anymore. Uh, but which is sort of how we see them being used in the Citadel, the description we get with the whole putting them in a vault and you sit before them and it's like, you're supposed to learn some kind of lesson. That's sort of what was going on with the Palantir. Until, you know, they found extra ones. Sauron got his from, I think it's uh, what became Minas Morgul. I think he stole it from there in the conquest. Um, actually, it was called something else first. Minas Ithil? The Lord of the Rings knowledge is not the strongest. <laughs> um, but once you have them, they're extremely powerful. Otherwise, they don't do anything. Uh, Renly's Peach, great username. Love a Renly's Peach. Uh, given that they are here, what's the most reasonable glass candle theory you've heard? Actually, this is a good time to swap into that. Um, so are they active and how are they being used in a song of ice and fire? Because they are being used. They are real. They are lit. People are using them. Uh, the first one is Quaith. Uh, if you guys remember, if you're, cause this is not a show thing. This is basically did not happen. Danny sees Quaith like over and over and over again after she leaves Karth and in really weird ways. And the interactions are always extremely bizarre and Danny's left questioning her reality afterwards <clears throat> and like for instance when she's on the ship outside of astapor quaith just kind of appears in the ship and danny's like uh <laughs> what are you what are you doing here quaith are you really here she's like no not really and then says some stuff and disappears same thing happens at the top of the great pyramid marine uh quaith appears out of nowhere starts talking to danny disappears and then Masande comes up and goes like, ah, what's going on here, guys? Uh, who are you talking to, Danny? And Danny's like, oh, don't worry about it. Just my, like, invisible friend. <laughs> and Masande's like, oh, okay, sure. There's no one else here. You're talking to somebody. Are you losing it, Danny? Maybe. I think you might be. That's Masande thinking. <laughs> oh, good call, Mod Mary. Uh, the dragon eggs turned to stone were also thought to be useless heirlooms. Definitely. Absolutely. George is drawing on the same idea. Um, so... With the Quaith's repeated messaging about how the glass candles are lit and this talk about Urathon Nightwalker. Oh, I forgot the, the other big one. Um, while, da while Danny's in the Dothraki Sea, Quaith essentially appears to her as like a face made of stars. And it's like, what is going on here? Well, you have to remember that George introduced the glass candles in relation to Danny and then had Quaith talk about glass candles. So it's very likely that Quaith has access to one. And since she also just like offhandedly went like, oh yeah, glass candles, pretty easy to do. Fiery ladder, phew, fiery, fiery ladders are hard, not glass candles. I could do that. So this is probably what, what the main use of these things are. Like if you're thinking about this and how are they being used back in Valyria before its fall, it may be like this where um, you could use one and essentially just appear in a room, but kind of like uh, a Star Wars hologram. 
like you see with the Emperor and Darth Vader, um, you know, other characters, but those are the famous examples where a person essentially pops up and you can talk to them, that kind of thing. That's probably the the more functional use other than the weird dream shit. <laughs> I don't like, I don't, I don't, yeah, this is at least like a better way of it. Yeah, the whisperings of stars, that kind of thing. Very much, very likely that she's using a glass candle, um, that she's been keeping track of Danny throughout. Um, although... This is one of the examples, if, you, if you're assuming that Quaith is using a glass candle on Danny, especially because most of these interactions come before George's reveal about what they can do through Archmaester Marwyn, you can go back and reread Danny's chapters and say, okay, so after Quaith, all the, or even before uh, she meets Quaith, how much of this is glass candle related? How much of this is her messing with Danny's mind? Which is, again, a frustrating question to piece through, especially because Danny does receive many, many, many extremely strange dreams. Like, for instance, she dreams of Drogon before he hatches. She dreams of herself as Rhaegar on a dragon, essentially roasting Robert Baratheon and his armies armored in ice or something like that at the Trident. She's one of those characters that much like um, like Daron the Dreamer or Daron the Drunkard. Daron the Drunkard, yeah, that's the right name. Or Danny Sedriner, where she's getting all sorts of weird, prophetic, highly specific dreams throughout her character arc. And now you have to question how many of them were being sent by Quaith. Or since Marwyn's in the picture and he seems very much aware of what's going on with Danny, has Marwyn also been in contact with her? Yes, her Luke Skywalker dream. <laughs> What's this about Alyssa Farman? Somebody talking shit about Alyssa Farman? No, we talk shit about Alyssa Farman in my stream. Alyssa Farman is an angel that did nothing wrong. Um, and this is one of those um, one of those situations where I've talked a lot about like how the Targaryens have their dragon dreams and like how there's similarities to what they're thinking about. So if you talk about Aegon the Fifth, you talk about Aerys the Second, talk about Arian Brightflame, you talk about Daron the Drunkard, also um, Aemon himself. They all seem to be getting similar sort of visions about dragons and flames, the return of them, something about wildfire, maybe something about a pyre, just like the same idea being presented to them. And this is something I didn't go into in my video because I don't like it, but you have to question, well, I guess you don't have to, I guess we can just ignore it if you feel like it, <laughs> but you have to sort of think about, um, were they being fed these dreams? Was there somebody at that time? who has access to a glass candle and is messing with their brains, which I don't like. Although we know from uh, Daron that his dreams are highly symbolic, that his seem closer to um, what Bran receives or what we see from the ghost of Highheart. Danny, well, that's kind of like Danny's too. So it's like, is our magical dreams and prophecy naturally occurring or are they all faked by glass candle users? God, do I not like this line of thought. <laughs> George, why did you do this? Why? Why would you do this to me? Us. Well, I guess me. Mostly me. This is annoying me. Um, also, one other thing about Danny uh, interacting with Quaith through glass candles. Danny's awake while all this is happening. This is not... These dreams... I mean, the, the visions she has of Quaith talking to her. As far as Danny's concerned, and it seems like from the other characters, she's awake while this is happening. So that's what I was talking about in terms of like, is it a... Um, is it a um, like a Star Wars hologram thing? Apparently, if you have a glass candle, you can just sort of appear to somebody out of thin air. Uh, yeah, here we go. Scott Larock talking. I wonder if Bloodraven made Euron crazy because he couldn't handle Bloodraven in his head. Yeah, glass candles have that kind of fun effect where now you're questioning everything. Is everything Bloodraven? <gasps> Maybe. It could be. Uh, and then 
Actually, I think this is probably a good time to um, to talk about some uh, patron questions. So Eric Forig, one of my one of my patrons and frequent questioners, he says, "Why was Sam being watched in the first place? How long has Sam been spied on? Did Marwin take a glass candle with him on the boat?" So I didn't really touch on this yet, but uh, Marwin is aware Sam is coming long ahead of time because he's apparently been watching Sam via the glass candle in his office um, the whole way, either from the wall or at least from Bravos. So he knows that he's with Eamon. He knows what news he's going to bring, which is why Sam is like, I have all this important stuff to say. And Marwin's like, got it already. Glass candle. Don't care. I'm just going to take your boat and your Eamon in a rum cask and all your books and just piece the hell out <laughs> essentially like this this interaction is really fast marwin says i don't need anything from you sam get out of my face i'm leaving taking your boat taking your taking your friend and i'm out of here uh so why was sam being watched in the first place this has led some to question if marwin was watching Eamon for quite a long time or if he was using a glass candle to invade his dreams in some kind of weird way um because marwin does talk about aiming quite a lot and he thinks about how um the, the rest of the citadel is a bunch of sheeps and they should have by rights essentially aemon should have been an archmaster with the amount of knowledge and what he's contributed to the knowledge of the organization and he goes into the whole thing about how like there's a conspiracy. The maesters are trying to make sure that Aemon never ends up in a seat of power, that kind of stuff. And with the glass candle involved, you have to think to yourself, well, maybe? Or is this, has Aemon, has uh, Marwyn been watching Aemon's dreams? And essentially, is this what Aemon thinks? Therefore, that's what Marwyn thinks. It also raises the question, um, if he's the only one that has one lit in the Citadel, that's the only one we do see lit, is he using it to spy on the other Archmaesters? Um, is he just... Is he watching council rooms that uh, he's not supposed to, that he's not invited into? Like, is he seeing private conversations kind of like uh, Varys or Littlefinger do, where they have ears everywhere, but Marwyn's ears are literally magic. Um, it also raises a question about, like, what does Marwyn actually want? What is he doing? He wants to go to Daenerys, basically, to tutor her, which is what Aemon thought the Citadel should do anyway. So was Aim Marwyn may have been watching during that time or have looked into Mar into Aemon's thoughts and realized that's what he wants and that's what he's going to do now. Oh yeah, please do uh, smash the like button. Thank you, Chrissy, very much. Um, uh, 34 away from a silly hat for the rest of the rest of the stream. Um, I would guess the way that Marwyn focuses in on Aemon, that he's probably been watching him for quite a long time at least since um, reports started coming in that the others were back. Unlike most other characters, he, Marwin doesn't have to wait for anybody to show up and tell him. He can just, after, I mean, after he could light it after Danny's uh, dragons hatched, he could just go look at the wall and be like, okay, so what's going on there? Oh, this does, this does bring up the question of um, barriers. So... If they can see everywhere, like, can they actually? Like, for instance, Bravos was the secret city that Valyria could not find or did not find for quite a long time. If they have glass candles and they can see everywhere, why couldn't they find these escaped slaves? Why couldn't they figure out that this, there is this thriving merchant city developing right underneath their nose? One possibility is they did know and they didn't care. But that doesn't seem like the Valyrians. They're pretty, uh, they're pretty okay with killing and enslaving and getting and essentially destroying civilizations to help themselves out. So it leads you to the question, is there something about Bravos that made them unable 
to be seen. Um, George does love the idea of like magical barriers and ways of blocking magic, that kind of thing. So some have speculated, I think it was Maester Mary that wrote about this, wrote about um, Bravos quite a bit and that maybe there's something about like the mists or the fogs around them or the way that it's built or something about, so, I don't know, if there's something about Bravos and where it's built specifically does not let glass candles go into them or they or it shields them somehow. It would be interesting if there were natural barriers or some ways around this power. Um, another thing to think about is the fact that quite a lot of the magical characters in the story do wear masks. So Quaitha Shadowbinder wears a mask. Um, most Shadowbinders we learn from Ashai all wear masks. Um, there's, what's her name? The, um, the Woods Witch that, that wears a Weirwood mask. Um, the Archmasters themselves wear masks and, and have rods made of metal. So is this sort of an idea that George is drawing from like X-Men? Is that, are these supposed to be like Magneto's helmet to stop Professor X? Um, it, it's, it would be very much unlike George to put in something this powerful with no way of stopping it. Like it'd be super interesting if it's actually the, um, oh, I'm sorry. If the Archmaesters wear these masks specifically to guard themselves from mind invasion. <laughs> yes, those masks peeps did see the future of the Rona, but, um, you know, when there's so much psychic manipulation and George is such a big fan of comics and, uh, particularly like the X-Men, I would not be surprised if he designed these things for particular magic characters in a way that stops psychic invasions. Oh, uh, super chat here from Amy Blackfire. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for the $5. Uh, is there something other than the glass candles you wish Martin had left out? Also, click like for the hat. So, something else in the Song of Ice and Fire that bugs me that I wish he had not put into the narrative. Um, hmm. something that bugs me as much as glass candles do. Um, it's a good question. Hmm. I'll have to think about that one. I'll think about it while I'm talking. I'll try and come back to it. I mean, there's lots of like, um, like arcs and characters and like twists in the story that I'm not a huge fan of, but like something in particular that I wish he had just like erased from the story that never, that never had a chance to be in it. Um, you're not subbed to Maester Mary's channel. What the hell? Who's not subbed up from under Winterfell or also their awesome podcast, Learned Hands. That's a good one too. Um, trying to think of like, is there some magical thing that I wish like didn't exist? Um, I'll, I'll have to come back to it. I can't think of it off my head. <laughs> um, so what was I talking about? I was talking about, oh yeah, barriers and how you could stop it. So there's also the, obviously the, um, fused black stone all over the place. There's the oily black stone that exists in certain places. There's the weird Lovecraftian statues and stuff like that all over the place that apparently, I mean, there's the wall itself, which seems to act as some sort of barrier between John and ghost when it's between them. Um, it's explicitly said that the wall somehow keeps the others out. There's also the barrier around Blood Raven's cave. There's apparently one around um, Storm's End, which means that Melisandre has to go underneath the walls. That's why Davos has to go help her. She can't just send a shadow baby through the wall. She has to be within them. Um, so I would guess like all these things that George has included in some way his story that you can combat glass candles. And um, especially within the Valyrians themselves, because they would literally know how it works. It would be kind of chaos if all Valyrians at all times were just like messing with each other's dreams. 
and that kind of thing. So there must be some way of stopping it, just on like on a convenience level, at least for like the rich and powerful, that kind of thing. Oh, they're they're a law podcast, but they're a Song of Ice and Fire law podcast. Very interesting. Uh, are the masks used now for Archmaesters? It seems to be kind of ceremonial, but it's also like glass candles are like not really a thing anymore. So. Maybe in the past that's what they were supposed to do. Maybe the shadow binders masks are supposed to do that kind of thing. Or perhaps if you're wearing one of a certain kind, then like maybe the glass candles can't penetrate th through them and like um and let people spy on you. There must be some way to screen calls. <laughs> you have to be able to if you have like a glass candle, you have to be some way of saying no, like get away. Yeah, something like uh Dreadfort Lever says uh counter spells. Yeah, something like that. What were the rods originally for? Looking cool. What else is having a cool metal rod for? walking down the street maybe beating novices with it that kind of cool thing those are all cool things <laughs> um let's see here oh from uh twitter the weirwood throne otherwise known as curtsy while you tweet says glass candles are obsidian fused with dragon blood the dragon blood is the connection purple candles purple eyes they aren't really purple candles they're black candles but glass candles function like a weird net for the valerians until they found the real thing i would guess that they work on very much the same mechanics george um very much enjoys linking his um his magical things and essentially people just have different ways of interacting with them but the concept is the same between them um yeah that would make some some, some kind of sense um if like dragon blood or blood sacrifice or something went into making of the obsidian or the glass candles where you turn what is essentially a neat obsidian sculpture into a powerful magical object check paypal real fast okay here we go um but yeah I, it seems like valyrian steel um if you talk about the stories of like nissa nissa and azor high and also the weirdness that goes on with um tobo mott and how one of the cultures that still knows how to work valyrian steel is in kohor which is famous for blood sacrifice being a part of their religion to the black to the black goat i think it is um i would not be surprised in in, in the least if once again valyrians found some way to introduce the importance of blood sacrifice in some way to making their magical coolness class <laughs> two class candles are trying to contact you oh interesting is their magical call waiting maybe both of them would just appear at the same time and you'd be like uh hey how's it going or if they could see each other oh man or what if it's like, um, what if you're, what if you're Valyrian and you have multiple wives, but, or multiple girlfriends, they don't know each other yet. And they both call you on the glass candle at the same time. <gasps> the drama that could happen. Oh no. <laughs> uh, I think it's a, I think it's an open question though, whether or not the, the holograms or whatever are like literally visible or if they're invisible only within the mind of the person who's being contacted. I would guess it's just within their mind. Like, I don't think that if Masande walked up while Quaith was still there, she would see her. Oh, um, actually, speaking of, got a uh, PayPal donation from uh, June S. $10, no message, but thank you, June. That's super generous. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, glass candle based soap operas. This is the content we need. George, where is this? Just, I don't want to see like the entire Valyrian Empire. I just want to see like... <laughs> The shenanigans of one uh, Valyrian fire mage trying to keep his love life together. What would you actually? What would be a good name for like a Valyrian soap opera or something like that? <laughs> That'd be pretty interesting. That's the whole plot of the House of the Dragon. Oh man! Oh, here we go. Here come the puns. All my candles, flame of our lives, blaze of our lives, hearts fires. Ooh, days of our dragons. I like these. 
Keep them coming. <laughs> As the glass candle burns. <laughs> One heart trio. Married with candles. Uh, <laughs> oh, these are perfect. This is like Maester Monthly content right here. This is why Valyria fell. Um, you know what? Like, seriously, it probably is like not unrelated that they had tons of magic and they were doofuses about using it sometimes. And just like the most self-centered, narcissistic dicks in the world. <laughs> and that's like, that's what caused them to fall. Not necessarily like soap operas. Ah, uh, do you think glass candles use the moon to communicate because the moon is a satellite? No and no. Absolutely not. Because if that were true, then when the moon's not visible, then they wouldn't work. You think about triangulation, like if Westeros is here and you're on this and you're on this side and the moon's over here then the glass candles wouldn't work. It doesn't yeah, that's not, no, not true. Uh, everybody loves the moon. Pretty little liars. Yeah, you, they're basically Valyrians, right? <laughs> the moon is a gunman. Oh my goodness. Um, so let's go <laughs> with that brief detour. Uh, let's go back to a second. Um, so where else are glass candles being used? And there's this mysterious character named Urathon Nightwalker. Ooh, a very spooky name. Who is Urthon Nightwalker? Literally no idea. Um, Urthon Nightwalker, his house is mentioned. Nothing about who he is, where he is. Is it like a house in terms of like a Westerosi house? Is it literally a house? Is it in Karth? Don't know. It's just kind of mentioned over and over again that glass candles are burning in his house. Um, there has been quite a lot of speculation though that Urthon is actually a... Um, a Ironborn name. In particular, I believe it's a, actually, you guys beat me to this. I think it's a Greyjoy name as well. And this has uh, created the theory that Urathon Nightwalker is a pseudonym for the ultimate dramatic um, magical boy, Euron Greyjoy. That he is essentially, during his, um, his exile from the Iron Islands, has taken up this pseudonym within Karth and using the wealth from his pirating to position himself as like a noble and buy glass candles and all these other kind of weird things. Um, oh yeah, is it Earthon Good Brother? Hang on a second. Yep, Earthon Good Brother, you're right. Not a gray dry, a good brother. Um, it's also introduced that the story of Earthon Good Brother is a, a uh, ironborn tyrannical king that shows up after the death of the king, or I think he kills the king, I'm not sure which, and calls a king's moot while claimants are not there and intimidates and kills people to make sure that he ends up the um, sitting on the seesaw chair. But then the claimants who were missing because they were out reaving and raiding while all this happened shows up and Urathon in his brutality gets killed by his captains and the there a new king's moot happens. And it's brought up, I think by Asha Greyjoy, that this is a, a or Aaron, I forget which. That this is a way that, like, since Theon's a legal claimant to the current King's Moot that Euron won, that these are parallel stories. And people have made the jump from this story being a parallel to Euron in the current story, that maybe the Urathon is <laughs> Euron essentially flexing, that he knows the story, and that he's specifically trying to be Urathon good brother or Urathon bad uh, Brad brother, as he's often known. Um, the Nightwalker part essentially being that he is a very dramatic um magical spooky boy and nightwalker is just like kind of his thing it's it's dark it's i don't know it just it just sounds magical and dramatic and that's kind of what euron's all about with the silence oh by the way 13 more likes you guys 
Um, and then uh, we'll put on a super cool wizard hat for the rest of the stream. Um, so if Urathon Nightwalker is actually the names even sound right, Urathon and Euron, they have um, similar kind of sound to them. If that is the same character, if Urathon Nightwalker is Euron Greyjoy, and he has glass candles and they're burning, so that raises the question then. Well, if we see how Quaith is using them, and we know how Marwyn's using them to watch Sam, who exactly is, how is Euron using these burning glass candles if he has them? Um, so, there's a few things that this would clear up about Euron. For one thing, almost all of his plans seem to work out, like, really, really well. And he doesn't seem like he's putting in a ton of strategy, they just kind of... He, he makes these grand plans and he shows up and they always work. Well, if he's using glass candles in terms of spying and figuring out where weaknesses are and um, essentially scouting ahead of time, that would make a lot of sense for why everything works is coming up Euron's way. He's using literal magic, like magical satellites, essentially to figure it out. Um, oh, good call from... Um, Yuki Guni explains how he's able to get the Valyrian steel armor and dragon binder too. Exactly. So Valyria is essentially a super dangerous place. And he said he's walking to Valyria and he came back with his Valyrian steel armor and he got dragon binder. And everyone's like, well, that's suicide. Nobody walks out of Valyria. Well, if you're not sitting there with a glass candle, then <laughs> it's not quite as dangerous because he would not, he doesn't have to search. He can just see where stuff is and then go to it. And also see um, like where dangers are or where whatever those whatever it is that slashed um, Balerion the Black Dread when he was there and came back. It's like avoid those things. So it makes that story much more plausible. Um, oh yeah, Sanrixian's here for the mag for the spooky magic boys. Of course you are. This is your jam. Um, yeah, so it makes that story way more plausible for how it happened. He scouted it ahead of time. Um, also, how else could he be using them? Well, there's also the weirdness that he supposedly hired the Faceless Men to kill Balon Greyjoy. And it seems like Jack and Hagar did it. But it's not just that Balon dies and then Euron shows up and it's like during the Kingsmen or something like that. He shows up the next day. He knows exactly when the hit is happening and he shows up at the perfect time when nobody's around and claims to see Stone Chair just like um, Urathon Bad Brother did and uses essentially that... Um, uses the surprise of his arrival as a tool to push himself forwards to becoming the king of the Iron Islands. Well, either that's really good planning and he's really lucky, or he literally was watching Jacken while it was happening and knew when he was going to be there and was keeping tabs on him and then showed up at the exact right moment for it to work. That would make a lot more sense <laughs> for how he's doing this. Because right now it looks like he's got otherworldly like um abilities of knowing when things are going to happen and timing well it's not otherworldly if you have an object that lets you see things from like a miles or continents away yes good call by guilty undertaker faceless men also seem to know things they shouldn't be able to know done 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 do they have glass candles maybe it seems like you're on might um i believe balon dies after aria leaves after jack and leaves aria i think the the timeline people have plotted out that they go to Harrenhal together, Jacken disappears, Balon dies, and then he pops up in Old Town. And that it's essentially like he's he's making a loop from King's Landing down to Old Town. They also yes, they also getting info from the faces because that's a thing that can happen. Um, but the other one that may, would explain oh, okay. 
you guys slam that like button thank you very much 150 likes remember 175 for the rest of the stream i'll put on my germ hat which has the cool turtle on it but yeah it's magic hat time and not the beer although the beer is tasty no i dropped bulbasaur guys I dropped him. Rip Bulbasaur. F in chat for Bulbasaur. Speaking of Saruman and Lord of the Rings, got my Gandalf hat going. Hey, Tymar. Uh, fresh off work, got to catch Joe. Glad you were able to show up this afternoon. Yes, you guys all helped. This was a team effort making me put on a silly hat. Go team. Go team magician. Um, Steph Line, how's my vegetable uh, garden going? Growing strong? Uh, check it out on Twitter. I posted an update before the stream. I went out and looked at them. Um, two minute video, just went over what's growing, what's going wrong, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> rip Bulbasaur. Um, so like I was saying, what's the other use and the other thing that explains if, uh, if Euron has a glass candle and that is why is Daenerys Targaryen dreaming about Euron goddamn Greyjoy all the time? Why is she seeing him on a prow of a ship with a, with a gray smile looking like a corpse? Why is there that weird dream where you're, where she gets, um, she's having sex with his dar and then it turns into somebody else and he has an ice stick or something like that. Why is this happening? Well, thinking about dream manipulation and thinking about the fact that Euron is obsessed with Daenerys and very much wants to marry her and wants to take her dragons, I would not be shocked in the slightest. If Euron Greyjoy had had his glass candle and much like Marwyn was using it to keep tabs on, you know, the woman with the dragons over in Essos, especially since there's no, there's no like, um, distance that's too far or anything like that. You can, you can just see anywhere. Hey, Lady Leaf, how's it going? Sorry, no problems being late. Oh, super chat here from, uh, Kevin Isles. I guess that's how you're going to pronounce that. $5. Very generous. Thank you so much, Kevin. No message. If you have one to shoot in the chat or, um... A question i'll try and answer it yeah the um so yeah that would make a lot of sense why is danny constantly dreaming about your own creation <laughs> well if he's forcing her to dream about him in some sort of weird um dream manipulation to plant her plant himself in her consciousness to make sure that when they eventually meet she maybe she recognizes him um and has a particular um reaction to him that is definitely a way you could use the glass candle dream manipulation mode on it. Euron's dreams are gross. Uh, let's ask Porcoin about that. What does Euron Greyjoy dream about? Um, probably murdering everyone around him and sitting on a, a bunch of bones. A, a throne of bones. There we go. What's going on with parsnips? What? Oh, another super chat from Kevin. Another $10. Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Very generous. Um, oh, good call from Luminous Rain. The fact that Euron, um, looks like a skeleton is super palantir too, because not even Sauron could hide his dark intentions from the visions. Yeah, that's one thing. Sauron was very good at manipulation, kind of like Euron, and, uh, he was excellent at changing his appearance and his behavior so that nobody knew who he was, but the palantir had a way of exposing, uh, who you really were in your true heart, basically. So, oh, a bunch of questions. Uh, coming from uh, Kevin. Here we go. Uh, if Euron does have a glass candle, we also know that he's been drinking shade of the evening, which can enhance visions. So do the two thongs. I'm going to say that's things. I'm hoping Euron doesn't wear two thongs, but you never know. Maybe he's a um, he's a very fancy lad. Do the two th things compound? Does he have a super glass candle vision since he's combining with other magic? <laughs> you know who wears thongs? Dario Naharis. Dario Naharis wears banana hammocks. You know it and I know it. <laughs> Dara Naharis wants everybody to know that. Uh, Mallory, if you, do you think you could draw that? Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, so to actually answer the question, uh, are those two essentially stacking? So Shade and Evening is essentially um, Esperon from Night Flyers and from the Thousand Worlds universe, where it's the substance that when you drink it or when you take it, it makes your psychic powers, latent psychic powers, whatever they are, just completely go out of control. It makes it so that if, you, if you're like a 2 on the scale of 10, it makes your 2 go to a 20 out of 10. It completely, it like opens your mind. I imagine this is some sort of reference to George's uh, drug use when he was younger, or maybe not when he's younger. Something like acid or like um, a mind-opening substance. So, if you're on drinking Shave the Evening, essentially Esperon, which is making his psychic powers, whatever they are, way more powerful, and he's um, using a glass candle, do those like, do those interact in some way? They might. Like, for instance, Danny in her dreams of Euron, like, those are very vivid. And it's it's not like when Blood Raven does it, where he appears as a three-eyed raven, or um, other characters like Quaith, where her face is like, you know, a face of stars, or she appears holographically. Like, Danny can feel Euron. Um, so maybe in some way that the, yeah, that may be very possible that he's found a way to enhance the connection he can use the glass candles for. Like, instead of just like vision, maybe it's something like, um, actually this is gonna make some people mad, but maybe it's like from uh, The Last Jedi, when the f the force thing where um, Rey and Kylo were able to touch each other, maybe Euron's going for something like that. Wait, what did Jay Moore say? Where's Ardengard made of tongues? Yeah, that's gross. That is, I agree with the chat. That's gross, Jay. Um, oh, hedgehogs and cats are life. Thank you for doing this stream tonight, Joe Magician. I just got dumped. I really need some nerve material tonight. Oh, that sucks, buddy. Um, hope, uh, hope things turn around. Glad I could provide a, a little respite for you. That's, uh, that's, that's really crappy. Luckily, this is what we all love this fantasy books for escapism. <laughs> Excellent advice there from Luminous Rain. Dump them before, dump them right back. Yeah, that'll get them. Uh, 18 more likes. We got 184 people watching, so slam that like button, you guys. Um, uh, thanks for answering my question, says Kevin Isles. First time I've caught you live, so I wanted to be generous. Hey, I really appreciate it. That's, um, I'm glad you finally got to catch me live. Catch me live. Misspoke there. Um, uh, let's see here. Lumis Rain says, Blood Raven is the face in the tree, not the crow. Oh God, we're not doing this. We're not, Blood Raven is all those things. Yeah, Mallory, I think I think you have to draw Dario's thong. Does his thong also have a mustache? These are good questions. These are good questions. Uh, History Master One, tell me, how does Dragon Horn work? If it was made in Valyria, where thousands of dragons lived, does it attract dragon riders or all dragons near it? So, how does Dragonbinder work? So, the horn that Euron brings back, he blows at the king's moot, and weird things happen. Um, Victorian's going to blow it at the Battle of Fire, and he thinks it's going to make him tame a dragon. So, what does it actually do? <laughs> well, when Euron blows it, well, he doesn't blow it. He has one of his men blow it. And when he does, it essentially makes everyone very susceptible to, like, Euron's general thing. Like, everyone's super on board with him afterwards. He has a lot of support. People are cheering. It's amazing. And then afterwards, people sort of snap out of it, like, oh, what the hell was that? Like, what, why did we, why did we elect Euron? This is, this is stupid. We're like invading the shield isles. Like, this isn't, this isn't what we wanted. We wanted something else. Like, very quickly, his support is dwindling. And even Roderick the Reader is calling him out. <laughs> Mallory, you know you want to draw that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so what does it do? I think it essentially what it does is when you blow the horn, it um, has a magical ability to get people to do what you want. Because the Valyrians had the ability to control dragons, but one thing they had trouble controlling was slaves. Everyone, every slave civilization ever has a problem with slave revolts. And um, especially when there were many more slaves in Valyria than there were Valyrians. So maybe Dragonbinder was essentially like um, a way of pacifying um, upset slaves or something like that. Or getting them to do dangerous things they didn't want to. Like they were sending them down to volcanoes for mining. Maybe Dragonbinder had some kind of effect with that. Uh, so that would be my guess for Dragonbinder. I, George has set it up pretty heavily through Victorian that he thinks it will make him tame a dragon. And I would be surprised if it works that way because Victorian is always wrong and Victorian's an idiot. So if Victorian thinks a thing, it's probably wrong. That's a hard and fast rule you can deal with. There's a lot of puns today and a lot of innuendos. Don't really know why. Um, yeah, like an empathy drug or something like that. I think that's what it does. Um, that's the only effect we've seen it do where everyone's like, yeah, Euron, Euron's the best. And they're like, what the fuck did we do? <laughs> why do we elect this guy? He's like this weird, dramatic weirdo who's very brutal and killed a bunch of people. Um, he gave us some gold. That was great. But like, what else did he do? Not that much. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, after the stream at five o'clock, Rio Westeros is going live with, um, I think it's uh, KW Dentigan talking, but they're talking about Sandra Clegane. I forget what the um, person is. Yeah, this is a very horned up stream, apparently. <laughs> um, the dragon horn stream. Um... Oh yeah, so Earthon Nightwalker. So that would make a lot of sense. A lot of the weird things about Euron are totally explained by the fact that he's hiding a glass candle that nobody knows about. Uh, and the third person that a lot of people suspect may have a glass candle other than um, than those already listed is um, Leighton Hightower and Mad Melora, his daughter. So they've essentially been up in the Hightower for years and haven't come down. And it's talked about that they are steeped in sorcery and that they're doing weird things, reading scrolls and books and whatever, but they're also keeping control of the Hightower. Now that's not necessarily impossible. Like you don't have to walk around Old Town to be the lord of it. But specifically when you're talking about a place that has three glass candles that we know about and we and the novices have seen them. Um, so does Leighton have the fourth one? Because remember I said at the beginning, there's four glass candles at the Citadel three black and one green we haven't seen the green one that one's missing or at least not missing it has not appeared in the narrative yet so perhaps the high towers who were called the greens during the dance of the dragons have the green glass candle maybe that's theirs and perhaps lord layton and mad melora are essentially up there just checking on what's going on in westeros um using that as their decision making for whether or not they enter conflicts which they have not they've essentially stayed out of everything that's really hard to do it's really difficult for a lord to find himself not involved in one of these mega wars ever but the high towers have managed it and they managed to stay on the good side of everybody um, a glass candle would make some sense, especially, you know, again, Old Town, the High Tower. The High Tower itself kind of looks like a glass candle. Oh, Mallory's actually drawing it. This is lovely. I'm sure this would be amazing. Um, although it'd be kind of funny if you're thinking about like, okay, does Euron have a glass candle? And also does Leighton have a glass candle? Well, a lot of people think Euron's going to high, going to uh, Old Town to sack it. So does, does Leighton know that already? Um, has he been keeping tabs on Euron? Has Euron been keeping tabs on him? Does the uh, fused black fortress thing at the bottom of the high tower protect them somehow? Kind of like uh, you see with um, different other megastructures. Perhaps it could be. 
Um, oh, yes. Thank you for dropping the stones, Chrissy. You are, as always, a superstar. You are the best. Everyone say thank you to Chrissy Bolt Stones, if you wouldn't mind. She's she's the best mod. Um, so that would be um, an interesting one. It at least lines up in terms of proximity and hinting and just kind of some smaller details that might line up if you want them to. Um, it'd be it'd make a lot more sense if Layton was looking at a glass candle and that's what he's been doing rather than studying the same books over and over again. There's always been a joke that like Lord Layton's sitting up there with a book of ancestry and he's just like continually going down the different Targaryen trees that's going like, okay, so I have to make sure I don't fight any Targaryens. And he's just like, okay, so what happened to Egg's younger sister? Okay, so she married this guy. This is what happened to those kids. Um, this makes more sense as a character trait or as a thing he has. Although it'd be really funny if he doesn't <laughs> and um, Euron's going to smack him around with his. Um, oh, also a patron question, uh, from Eric, uh, Forrick. He says, how will the more conventional members of the Citadel react when they learn the glass candles are functioning? So, um, this is a thing that came up in the Pate prologue where most of the other novices did not know that Marwin had lit a candle and kind of don't believe lazy Leo, um, that Marwin has done it, but it doesn't seem to be much of a secret. It's just sitting there in Marwin's office, but also Marwin's kind of, um, the black sheep of the Citadel where they don't really like him. So it may be possible that he has not spread it around too much or that nobody believes him. He's actually done it. So what will happen when the glass candle is functioning? So Marwin has raised the possibility that the Citadel murders member its own members who, um, essentially go against the, the orthodoxy of the Citadel. So, but he also got up and left, but he didn't take his glass candle with him. He just left. He left it there. So um, he doesn't seem too concerned that people are going to notice he has a glass candle lit. Um, if the other Citadel members notice or even start caring, um, I'm guessing the Archmaesters and they would try and use it and see what happens. Um, but since they, since it doesn't seem like any of them know how to work it or they have not publicly, then whatever they do is essentially going to be like, Explore exploration, trying to figure out the mechanics of how the glass candle works. Meanwhile, Euron is bearing down with a fleet of ironborn to sack the city. So it may be too late that they learn how to use it and see the crow's eye coming for them. Uh, will Sam take it? Good question. The show had Sam Tarly take um, Heartsbane, his father's sword. Um, if he takes a glass candle, that would be interesting. This is one of those weird things to think about. Like, wh what is the purpose of this? Where's George going with these things? Like, why are they important? Because he's already empowered Bran with powers that are equal to or more powerful than the glass candle. So why do you need this? And more importantly, if Sam takes it, will he learn how to light it? And how will that be useful in some way? There's been ideas before that like, um, it said that maybe Valyrian steel has some part of, um, it's called dragon steel. So some have wondered if it has obsidian in it and that's one of the properties that makes it so special. Would a, you know, would a Valyrian steel sword function the same way? Like if you lit it on fire, like Lightbringer, could you use it in a similar way? Um, that is interesting speculation. I'm not really sure. It's yeah. Sam's the only really one that would take it that would have any difference and I'm not really sure because how exactly would he, would this be useful to him as a character? Um, is he going back to the wall? Is he going to King's Landing or something like that? He's definitely not following Marwin. Um, is he going to use it to check up on John? Is he just going to watch John creepily from the south? 
Oh, Daisy, you showed up 105 minutes late. Or you're just in time for another cool hat if you slam that like button. There has to be some something that Sam needs to see using it that makes its inclusion worthwhile. And George has gone out of his way in A Feast for Crows for letting us all know that these things are important and how they work. So... There must be something going on here. There must be some reason he's telling us this because the Pate thing just is background. The Samuel 5 is a demonstration on how it works. So much like where a lot of people think the Second Life tutorial through Vermeer Sixkins is to tell us about what's going to happen to John, then this should have some kind of impact going forwards. Let me be also late. Why is everybody late today? What are you guys all doing? Come on. Oh, hat switch. All right. We only got uh, 10 minutes left. <laughs> there we go. Turtle pin and everything. <laughs> oh, Amy. Studying while watching this. Did you make any friends, Amy? Or did you just meet podcast hosts? Oh, Sam seeing the Ironborn attack would be interesting. Um, I imagine it would have to be something to do with the others. That maybe the glass candle is integral in some way in convincing somebody that the others are an important threat because the white hunt is stupid. <laughs> the white hunt was dumb. Um, there has to be some other way to convince the South that the North is um, under assault. Maybe it's used to uh, show Danny what's going on beyond the wall. That would at least be something. That would be an, an interesting use of it. Um, although, if, if Danny is shown how to use it, would she then question everything going on in her life? Oh no, like we did earlier in the stream. Uh, how many dreams were real? Uh, Oh, I thought of something. Okay, so Amy asked earlier in the super chat, what would I remove from the story in order to, um, that I wish Martin had not put in? And that is not the person, not not Miranese, not Ashea, but the Miranese not itself, that, Dan that George should have moved Danny's story along quicker than he did, that she should probably be on her way to Westeros in a dance with dragons, um, maybe onto Volantis or something like that. I understand why he put it in. I understand that he wanted to show Danny struggling with rulership and having to balance her ideals versus practicalities, um, her learning to actually govern people that don't like her, which is probably going to happen in Westeros too, that this is important groundwork for her discovering this identity of fire and blood and, you know, dragons plant no trees and balance that against Misa. Like, I get the point of it. I don't think it's very good. And I think he could have done that while also moving Danny's story west a lot faster. Um, yeah, that's the thing I would want to remove. I think the mirror needs not as it's printed is not very good. I mean, I like Quentin's story. Barrison's is fine. Um, you know, it, you could have done better things, George, and still kept those alive. Like, for instance, Quentin is in Volantis. You could have maybe had this plot happen in Volantis as she's moving west. You know, it's, um, that would be, that would be my, um, my pick. I think we're all in agreement on that one, that, uh, George could have moved that plot along while still keeping intact the lessons he wanted Danny to learn and the struggles she's going through. Oh, Mallory apparently finished her thing. Is this on Twitter? Uh, what is the point of the Quentin chapters? Asked, uh, Freestyle, um, Fakiri. I would look up poor Quentin's blog, um, Google poor Quentin and Quentin Martell. He has done an amazing series of essays talking about um, how Quentin Martell is a deconstruction of the heroic arc. Oh my God, she did do it. Good Lord, there's even... Okay, everyone say thank you to Mallory for this amazing, amazing picture. Wow, that is something. Hang on a second. Let me see if I can pull this up on screen. <laughs> um, 
me see if I can do display capture. There it is. Boom. Look at that. Beautiful Mallory. <laughs> Dario cares about his mom? Is this a thing? Wow. This is the new beautiful Dario art we all need. <laughs> Oh, you even got his signature creepy smile. Oh, you care. <laughs> oh, what a way to end a stream. <laughs> oh no, what did I do with the... Okay, there's the chat. <laughs> Horrified yet aroused by Dario is the correct reaction he wants you to have. That is his whole thing. Uh, if you guys have um, anything else I didn't get to, something I didn't see in the chat, uh, we got a few minutes left here, just like throw them out tag me or um you know super chats or whatever if you feel like it if um so yeah at five o'clock um an hour after we end radio westeros will be going live talking about sandra clegane so um that'll be something definitely to check out uh, lady gwen was on the channel a few weeks ago now we were talking about uh, liana stark maybe asking for questions about glass candles is a little foolish after showing the dario ass and just that amazing picture <laughs> uh Actually, who was it that um, had the problem with the breakup, the hedgehogs and hedgehogs and cats are life? Hopefully Dario cheered you up. Oh, there's actually a question uh, before the stream started. Mary Ann Hadley said, how many glass candles there are? Uh, I would guess that there's, so Citadel has four. Um, Arathon Nightwalker has at least one. Quaith might have one, but she might be using that one. But let's say Quaith has one. So that's six. Um, if you're assuming that Leighton Hightower, Leighton Hightower has, if, I, uh, if he has one, it's probably one of the Citadels. So there's probably six active out there that we know about. Um, there may be more. I would expect more in Valyria or Essos. In the ruins of Valyria, I bet since these things seem to be used basically like phones, I bet throughout Valyria there's just some hanging out. Actually, maybe that's where Euron found one. Maybe he went to Valyria, found one, and was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Ah, uh, yes, good call, uh, Guilty Undertaker. Seven glass candles for the seven Palantir. That would make a lot of sense if George was trying to draw that comparison, which he definitely, definitely is. Uh, what about Littlefinger? Does Littlefinger have a glass candle? No. Littlefinger has a traditional... Um, non-magical information gathering system, just like theirs. It's um, it's whispers and gossip and paying off the right people. That's what he's got. Uh, Dornish Dame says, if glass candles have been around for a hundred years, do you think they are part of Ares the First and Blood Raven's magical studies? Um, I would I would be surprised if they didn't try and study them, especially Blood Raven, considering he can travel incognito. Maybe he pulled a Sauron and showed up at the Citadel pretending to be someone other than himself to have a look at them. Um, Oberyn Martell probably knew something about glass candles. Um, it's also interesting that one of his daughters, um, Alaris or uh, Sorella Sand, is working for Maester Marwyn. Um, so she may be investigating the glass candles that Oberyn knew about. Um, it would certainly be, they're one of the few relics of Valyria that still exist, and they're in Westeros, so for characters that are studying magic and prophecy, glass candles would be definitely something you'd want to look at. Do glass candles need the burning of dragon's fire, aka dragon magics, to work? 
Hence why some uh, no dragons are back. I would guess that's that's the implication that you get from Zaro um, and also from Quaith that the things that are listed along with the glass candles burning all have to do with Danny somehow. And you get the same from the alchemists to basically say like, oh, well, I mean, are there dragons back? Have you heard anything about them? Because our spells are working way better. And the example of the guy from Karth with the fiery ladder, Quaith essentially says that um, all of a sudden his powers are massively increased. Uh, Melisandre says much the same. Um, so I would guess that a glass candle burning has to do with living dragons in the world, or at least in a proximity. There's been suggestions for a long time um, in the in the books, and especially in like the world of ice and fire, that may, there may be dragons elsewhere. Like there may be some in Valyria. There's definitely something huge that um, hurt Balerion the dra Black Dread when he disappeared with Arya Targaryen. Um, there's also suggestions that in the Shadowlands near Shy, that there are essentially caves with dragon eggs sitting in them. But they are definitely like that kind of thing. Oh, good call, Guilty Undertaker. I did not think about that. Glass candles burn without being consumed. So like the burning bush in the Bible. Great call. That's an excellent connection. Just guess. Elise Britter or Jacobs. I love the hat. Thank you. It's actually surprisingly comfy. I just wish the, the bill was longer. Um, I like, I mean, I grew up. I'm an American, so I grew up wearing baseball hats and playing baseball and all that kind of stuff. So this is like weirdly pointless. Like, what is the point of this thing? Longer bill. Like a duck. Duck and egg. Nailed it. Um, oh, are there 12 Palantir, Adrian uh, Birchall? I know that there originally were a lot more. I'm not sure how many survived to the current times in Lord of the Rings. There's the two that Sauron and um saruman have and i'm not really sure how many more longer bill wouldn't work this hat oh is it because it's a sailor's hat so it wouldn't fly off your head yeah that makes sense you officially died rip in peace jess all right so i think that's uh that's probably about it for today i wanted to go back and uh thank everybody that um sent super chats so sanrixian amy blackfire kevin um isles eels something like that um who showed up for the first time and also uh, Danny McKay, uh, Gerald L, and June S, who sent um, Super Chats in by PayPal. So I really appreciate it. You guys have a great Saturday. And also, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but I do Maester Monthly. And we're supposedly recording another episode this afternoon. So, Gary for more silliness, basically. And um, Isles. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're recording that this afternoon. So, expected arrival for that one given when our last one came out um give it a year and a half and we'll probably release it but you know we'll get there so <laughs> we're supposedly recording an episode let's we'll see if we get everybody together and technology works um so yeah have a great afternoon everybody um i'll be watching radio westeros at five with sandor clegane uh links in the chat uh coming out soon will be the um five-year gap plus who's the tattered prince videos so look out for that and i'll see you on tuesdays for crusader kings 3 and saturdays for more um corn streams maybe i'll change the name at some point hopefully covid will be done at some point but anyway 